Thank you, Sierra. Um, I was told to give you an announcement. Uh, if there are any seats in the middle that are available, there's two right there. Could you squeeze together? And then there's some people that can then come in on the edges of the rows. Because I think we have a, s a few people standing up still. So just, yeah, get comfortable or uncomfortably close to one another. Um, and I think everyone will then have a seat. And the temperature will go up one more degree. It's going to be great. I get nervous too, so I have a joke. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have a joke. That was really funny. Just let the record show at the first service, Sierra remembered the punchline. So something happened in this space. So good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. How's your week been? Yeah, okay. okay. It's been an eventful week, right? There were a lot of things happening in the world. Uh, I, I was paying attention to former President Bush passed away and they had his funeral. Um, I heard the news about Urban Meyer retiring. Uh, there was all these things that seemed to be happening and in the midst of it, I'm assuming your guys' life is pretty busy, right? You're, you can, no, no. One of you said no. Everyone else is now angry with that person. <laughs> Finals are coming up. Things are, uh, are happening in the holidays. Some of you are going home. Uh, you're going to be with family. Sometimes that can be stressful. There's a lot of things that are happening. I'm sure there's a lot of things happening and that are on your mind even now as I talk about the week and I talk about what's coming up. And those things can be stressful. Those things can, be, uh, can take us away from having an eternal perspective. And we really believe that this time together, it's not just we're punching the spiritual time clock, that this is to be uh, a sacred space for us. Even as we laugh and as we cram into this room, that there's something here, hopefully, that will happen for each one of us, where we can just leave our distractions at the door and be reminded about what's true, right? Not what's true in this moment, but what's true eternal, that there is a bigger kingdom, that there is bigger life for us than whatever's happening in this moment. Uh, and that's our prayer, our prayer for today, is that we would be able to experience a reconnection uh, with our Lord, a reconnection with who he is and what he has done in our lives and is continuing to do. We listen to Sierra and we're reminded he's at work, right? He's at work even now in the midst of whatever you're dealing with. Uh, so I thought it would be great for us to just stop, take a second and pray that God would make this a sort of space where we really deeply reconnect with him. So join with me. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here that tucked away in this little corner of the union, we can gather as a family and just be reminded of the reality of the gospel, reality of your truth. Lord, your word tells us that you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And Lord, we tell you we long for that peace this morning. We long to rest in you. We remember that you are our king. We remember that your kingdom is real and in you we put our trust. And we declare that this morning. Lord, we ask that you would renew our spirits through your word this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we're in a sermon series right now. We had a little, uh, a brief veering away from the sermon series last week for our Christmas service. But we're back. I don't know if you guys remember. It's called Jesus Among the People. And the idea is simply this. 
in Christmas season, it is great to look at the person of Jesus, and it is great for us to see how he interacted with men and women in the world and see what we can learn about him through those interactions and watch him among the people. And so far, we've talked about and we've seen how Jesus interacted with some of the forgotten people of the world, the outcasts. And, and if we're really honest, uh, a lot of those narratives we've heard a lot, don't we? We'll hear sermons or we'll read in the Gospels about when Jesus interacts with the lonely or the forgotten or the outcasts. And, and he treats those individuals with mercy and kindness and respect and it inspires us with awe and it's revolutionary. But what about when he interacts with the powerful? Right now, we live in this time of life where power is a topic of a lot of conversation, right? A lot of our, the things we're discussing as a society, whether it's the Me Too movement or Black Lives Matter or immigration or LGBT rights, th there's this conversation that's happening about power and about who has power and who it belongs to and sometimes a mistrust of power, a fear of its misuse, a questioning of it. I, I was recently on Facebook. I know only old people are on Facebook, so it was me and my middle-aged friends. <laughs> and on my feed, someone had posed this question, uh, what would Jesus say to Donald Trump? And of course, there were countless comments. And, and they ranged from, you are the Antichrist, to, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, it was like <laughs> everything you could imagine and everything in between. And, and everyone's comment, they were convinced that theirs was the right answer. And, and shockingly enough, I, I'm not convinced there was uh, a lot of uh, fruitful conversation brought about by that question. But I thought about it and I thought, that's a great question, isn't it? What, what does Jesus have to say to people in power? What does Jesus have to say to those who are in authority? You know, many of us who've been in church for a while, we have a good sense of what Jesus might say to someone who's homeless or someone on campus who's forgotten and is lonely and how he might come alongside them and provide hope for them. And, and that provides an example for us when we're in those situations, right? The kind of heart and attitude that we should have towards those people. But what would he say to those people that are in power? Those people who are in authority, and not just like, Donald Trump's or CEOs or the super rich or celebrities, but just anyone who has power, anyone in authority, our bosses, our professors, our coaches, our policemen, what would Jesus say to them? We're going to talk about that this morning. Turn with me to uh, the Gospel of John chapter 18 if you have a Bible. If not, we're going to put this on the screen here. And before we jump into the text, because I'm kind of jumping into something midstream, uh, let me set this, the scene for you. This is towards the end of Jesus' life, his earthly life. And he's been doing miracles. He's been demonstrating his mercy. He's been attracting the crowds, and his teaching has been challenging the norm over and over and over again. It's been revolutionary. And it's controversial. Much of what he says is controversial. Hopefully you see that as you read through the Gospels. He is stirring the pot. He is challenging authority. He is claiming to be king, and the Jews had been waiting for a king to restore the kingdom of Israel, but he was not what they had expected or wanted. They had wanted someone, many of them, to come in power and to lead them in power, and they're looking at this guy thinking, this is not it. And so what they did is they stirred the pot, they captured him, stirred the pot, and they were bringing him to the Roman authorities, and that's what we see here in verse 28. Verse 28. 
They had questioned him, the Jewish leaders, and now then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So the Jewish leaders had condemned Jesus, and now they were bringing him to the Roman governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. And he was the Roman prefect under Emperor Tiberius, and he ruled over all the non-Roman citizens in this area, in Judea and Samaria. And his headquarters were somewhere else, in Caesarea. But he happened to be in Jerusalem because they were celebrating the Passover. And every time there was a feast, he would have to come to Jerusalem because they were overcrowded and there was a possibility of riots. So he would have to drag himself out to this place, a place he probably didn't even want to come, to make sure that there was still some order in the city because people would flock to the city for the Jewish feasts. So that's why he was there. And he stayed in the former palace of Herod the Great, and the Jewish leaders brought them there, and they brought him there for a reason. Because Pontius Pilate, he was the only one who was allowed to order Jesus to be killed. They had to get some sort of Roman authority in order to do that, and that's what they were hoping to accomplish. And so Jesus is here, and now he is facing a man of power, a man of influence. And starting in verse 29, we're going to see what happens. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Which is not really a great answer. But <laughs> Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What would you have done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So it's kind of this strange interaction where he's being presented to Pilate, and they have this conversation, and Pilate has worldly power. Pilate has the ability to grant him life or death. He has influence and an impact in the Roman world. And this is what Jesus says to him, point blank. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might be not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. What does Jesus do in this moment? What he does is he does exactly what he did with everyone else. Jesus decides, I'm going to inform Pilate about another kingdom. This is my opportunity to talk to Pilate about a kingdom, the kingdom of God. This is the theme we see all throughout the Gospels. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven over and over and over again. You can't read the Gospels without seeing this. And what is that? Well, we live in the world's kingdom, right? 
We live in the world and we experience the world's values and the world's systems, the world's beliefs, the way it operates. And the Bible tells us, Scripture tells us that it's broken. That the world is broken. Hopefully this isn't shocking to you. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And what I've realized in life is that almost everyone sees this as true, right? Atheist, religious, Western, Eastern, every generation throughout time, most people sense, okay, there's something not quite right here. Something is broken. Something needs to be fixed. And there's these suspicions that we have that there's something more, right? That there's something sacred. There's something transcendent out there. C.S. Lewis says it this way about this reality. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And what Jesus essentially came and said was, your suspicions are true. You know what, guys? There is something more than this. There is a bigger kingdom, the kingdom of God, where God's reign, his rule is being experienced. It's being realized. And he says this, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. If I were doing things the way you do things, Pilate, my servants would be fighting right now, fighting against you. And he doesn't say this to Pilate, but he was probably thinking, and we'd be winning, by the way. I'm much more powerful than you. But he says, look, my kingdom is different. God's kingdom is not of this world. Do you guys realize that? Many of you have heard that many, many times before, and this is such a great time to be reminded of this. The kingdom of God is not of this world. It operates differently. This is the heart of the good news. This is the heart of the gospel, right? Often we can have kind of a narrow view of the gospel. It's like, oh yeah, uh, I wasn't that great, and I'm going to get forgiveness, and then I'm going to go to heaven, and maybe the whole thing's about me. And, and the gospel is much bigger than that, isn't it? The good news is that everyone has been in a, living in a fallen and broken world. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. We are not experiencing God's reign and rule. We're not seeing it and experiencing it in our lives. This is a world waiting for redemption and healing. And the nation of Israel knew that. They were waiting for a king to come and bring restoration. And Jesus is that king. But rather come, than come to Jerusalem in power and in conquest, he came in humility and submitted to death. But through his death and resurrection, we can be reconciled to our king. We can get a taste of his kingdom right now through the Holy Spirit. We can be his representative of him by responding to him in faith. By turning and trusting, we can live under his reign and his rule. We can represent him here while we wait, while we wait for him to come back and restore it in all of its fullness, in all of its glory. This is the gospel. In fact, when Scripture uses this word in, in the Old Testament and New Testament, it often revolved around the idea 
of the arrival and the reign of a new king. Jesus is that king. And guys, when we read through the Bible, we see how radically different God's kingdom is than the world's kingdom. It's so radically different. Now, I, it would take me like a whole other sermon series to describe how different it is to you. But I thought this is probably the perfect moment to at least touch on and remind you of what God's kingdom is all about. So I'm just going to do that for a second. This is all wrapped up in what Jesus is telling Pilate. I heard one pastor describe the kingdom of God as an upside-down kingdom. And not like the upside-down from Stranger Things, but it's just radically different than what the world tells us. It's almost like it's flipped on its head. Let me give you an example. God's kingdom is a kingdom of service over power, right? Jesus said, if you want to be a leader in my kingdom, you have to be a servant. The Gentile leaders lord it over one another, but we come as servants. How crazy is that? How often do you hear that message in our world? Service over power. Pilate, he was using his power to control. He was lording it over the Jewish people. And Jesus came as a servant. God's kingdom is a kingdom of weakness over strength. That makes no sense to us, does it? Jesus said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. He said that he would use the foolish things of the word, world, the things that are not, to shame the strong. Isn't that crazy? Pilate is in this story as one who is strong and has power and has authority, and Jesus is the one who has real strength and is demonstrating it through submitting to weakness. And I've been thinking about this even this week. Jesus encouraged his followers to be dependent, to embrace the fact that they're weak and they're broken and depend on him. And, and many of you guys know this, uh, but one of my co-pastors, Aziz Nahas, his son, Josiah, um, had a diagnosed with a cancerous tumor in his stomach a little while ago. And this week was the week of his surgery. And it doesn't take much to make us realize how powerless we are sometimes, right? Cancer does that. And we realized, okay, I, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know what to do. You know what we should do? We should pray, and we should ask our God to move. And he had surgery this week, and the surgery was successful, and they removed it, and he's recovering well, and there was just this moment of God is in charge here. We like to think we're strong. We like to think we're powerful. And there's these moments where God is just, no, no, no. It's okay to be weak. Come to me. Right, I was even thinking about prayer in general. How many of you guys struggle with prayer? I struggle with prayer. And there are seven other people here. <laughs> hey, I'm with you guys. Okay, now I got two late arrivals. We have nine of us now. I struggle with prayer because it is so counterintuitive to what the world teaches us, right? If there's a problem in your life, what are you supposed to do? Fix it, get it done figure it out. That's what you've been trained to do your whole life. You guys can figure out the solution. You can trust in yourself. And when we pray, it's like a public or private declaration, I cannot. I need you. I am weak. Men and women, 
in God's kingdom, they pray because they're, they're convinced that God might move through their weakness. Isn't that crazy? God's kingdom is a, a kingdom of honesty over appearance. Pilate was so worried about how he looked. He was so worried about appeasing the Jewish leaders. What can I do to make them get off my back? Just seem like I'm doing something. And I think about our culture, and I think about social media, and I think about the spin, and how, how we're becoming experts at managing our, our appearances, aren't we? And at the same time, we're lonely and depressed, and we're longing for authenticity. Isn't that bizarre? The kingdom of God is about honesty. Here's the last one. God's kingdom is a kingdom of genuine love. Of genuine love. What does he say to us? He says, anyone who's a part of my kingdom, any of my followers, this is how people are going to know you're my followers, by your love for one another. Not from how you talk or, or what political stances you take or any of the other stuff we talk about, how cool your worship service is. They're going to know by your love for one another. You know, I was, I was reading tons of articles this week about uh, President Bush. Partially, I have this emotional connection with him because he spoke at my commencement. See, I, I, I cropped it so you can't see Michigan. But I, yeah, <laughs> 1991, University of Michigan. He was actually the president, sitting president at the time. He came and spoke at our commencement. And so I just, you know, regardless of what you think of his policies or whether he was a good president or a bad president, this week was filled with stories about just his life, personal interactions. And they were amazing. They were stories of these kindnesses and, and the love he demonstrated to the people around him and his family. And there was one story in particular I thought was really cool. One article shared about how at one time he noticed members of his protective detail shaving their heads in solidarity uh, for the, one of the two-year-old sons of an agent who had leukemia and was undergoing treatment. And he immediately shaved his head without hesitation to show that he was with them. And they talked about how each one of them felt like he genuinely cared and had a concern for them. People that he had no business needing to know or getting to know or showing love to. And I remember reading that and thought, okay, that's, that's, a, that's a glimpse of the kingdom, right? That's not necessarily how the world operates, but we see these little glimpses of people, individuals, who've decided, no, 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 we're gonna be about love. Guys, the kingdom of God is so good. If you don't hear anything else, just hear that this morning. It is so good. And when people see it, we see this in the Gospels. When men and women see Jesus, what do they do? They're in awe, right? They're just amazed. It's like these are all my dreams coming true. It doesn't even compute for them. I was trying to think of a picture of this. Uh, I was thinking about my daughter. My daughter turned 17 this week. I am feeling my age. Um, <laughs> And she is like most other kids in high school in, in that she has not always enjoyed it. Um, and often she comes back and she's sad and she's disheartened. And then there's this, been these series of women in her life who have just taken them, taken her under their wing. It's this gal named Sarah D. Pouse and this other gal, Emily, and then our own Alexa Norris. And this is what she looks like when she comes back after she's hung out with them. A huge grin on her face. Delight. She's like giddy a little bit. 
And it's because every time she's with them, they're, they're giving her a message, which is the world is bigger than the high school cafeteria. The small little place that you're living in, it is dysfunctional, you're right. But there's more. There's more. And she comes back filled with hope. Like, ooh, I might make it. And, and I, I picture Jesus among people, and this is the response. Like, oh, thank you. I knew there had to be more than this. We see men and women experiencing him, and there's, there's hope. And I love how Jesus goes here with Pilate, the guy whose, whose life is in his hands. Sorry, I said that incorrectly. Pi Jesus' life is in Pilate's hands. The one he could be pleading with or saying whatever it took to get Pilate to like him. And he said, hey, kingdom, let me tell you about the kingdom. No one is exempt from his invitation. No one is exempt from him talking about the kingdom with. The problem is when you're powerful, it is much harder to accept. When you're powerful, it's not ever very easy. And sometimes it doesn't even sound like good news. Because you're convinced you have everything you need right now. And each of us, every single person in the world has a choice to make. There's a pastor uh, who just passed away, Eugene Peterson, and he describes this kingdom battle this way. He says this. He describes it as the way of the dragon versus the way of the lamb. He said, we choose, we follow the dragon, taking on whatever role is necessary to make a good show and get the applause of the crowds in order to get access to power and become self-important. Or we follow the lamb, worshiping the invisible, listening to the foolishness of preaching, practicing a holy life that involved heroically difficult acts that no one will ever notice in order to become simply our eternal selves in an eternal city. And the question for us is the same question that Pilate had to wrestle with. Which kingdom are you going to choose? Which kingdom are you choosing right now in your life? Pilate didn't have time for Jesus' kingdom. Didn't want to acknowledge it. After this interaction, Pilate went ahead and had Jesus flogged. And then he put a crown of thorns upon him and gave him a purple robe. And then he took him back to the Jews and he said, look, I flogged him, okay? Now we're good. And in chapter 19, it says this, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Even though he had all this power, he was afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. What a moment that is, right? Jesus is faced with the most powerful person he has interacted with and that person is demanding that he speak and saying, I could do whatever I want with you. And Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you. And I love that scene because Jesus doesn't deny that Pilate has power. Power exists here, and it could be wielded in ways that are not righteous and not good. 
which is what's about to happen. But Jesus does not fear it. He does not beg for his life. He does not kowtow to the world's power or the world's systems. And he doesn't crave it either. Right? He doesn't take this opportunity to turn the tables and say, Aha, I have the power, sucker. <laughs> Which he could have done, right? Which probably would have been our biggest temptation. To wait till the last moment, make it really dramatic, and then I'm actually in power. And now what? You beg. He didn't crave it. He didn't go for it. Why? Because God's kingdom is greater than the world's kingdom. God's kingdom is greater than the world's kingdom. And I say that, and it sounds simple. I made it an equation for all the math people. <laughs> and you can nod and think, of course it is. Is that really all we're getting here? But when we walk out of this room, it is so easy to forget. It's so easy to say, yeah, yeah, God's kingdom, and then act like we think the world's kingdom is where we have to win. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. He lived in accordance with the kingdom of God to the very end. He must have been tempted to use the world's ways. He must have been tempted to exercise power in a way that wasn't righteous, but he did not. And guys, this is what he's invited us to, right? In Matthew, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It says, Forever who, for whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He has invited us to do likewise. He has invited us to say, okay, now you live under the reign and rule of God. Even as, as these forces are at work, stay loyal to your king. And I know some of you are thinking, okay, great, this gives me some help in knowing how to deal with powerful people in my life, right? This will help me with the attitude I should have towards leaders or my boss or my professor, and that's true. And Jesus, this scene like this gives us guidance and wisdom. But here's the thing. Most of us in this room are much more like Pilate than we want to admit. We are the powerful. We are the rich. I know you've got college debt, but we have so much. Most of us in this room, and I'm speaking in generalities, are privileged in some very significant way, either because of the nation we live in or the wealth that we have or the family we come from or the race that we are or the sex that we are. You know how powerful we are? How privileged we are? I just saw this this week. I brought a picture. <laughs> you have a bacon vending machine in your campus. Have you heard about this? I was thinking about how ludicrous this is. There's like over 10% of the world's population has no access to safe water. You guys can go to a vending machine and get bacon out of it. That's how wealthy we are. That's how rich we are. That's how powerful we are. I'm not saying that to shame anybody. What I'm saying is, is by the world system, we're actually doing quite well. It's been very good to us for the most part. And I know you don't see yourself that way, but it would be good to. Because when the world system has been good to you, it makes it even harder to be loyal to the kingdom of God. That's what Pilate was coming up against. 
when you feel like you have power, when you feel like things are going well, man, I don't know if I need God's kingdom. I don't know if I need his help. I don't know if I need a savior. It makes it easy to think everything is fine. And we have to ask ourselves, which kingdom are we going to choose? You know, for some of you, this is, this is literally an invitation to choose to follow Jesus. Maybe you have never wrestled with whether you believe in him. And this is an invitation. The king is standing right in front of you, just as he was with Pilate so many years ago. And I want to tell you, he's not impressed with your power. He's not impressed with your achievements. He's not in awe of what you have going for you. He knows that you're weak, and he is inviting you to something much better. And that invitation is for you to turn and to trust him, to acknowledge him as king. And guys, you can do that today. By communicating that to him. And for the rest of us, those who believe in Christ and are following Christ, the challenge for us is what kingdom are we choosing moment by moment and day by day? And guys, this is hard because even when we give a profession of faith to Jesus, it's still so easy to slip back into the world's thinking, isn't it? And many questions come up daily. Why do I have to be honorable in this space when other people aren't? Why do I have to suffer when other people don't? Why do I have to wait for things that I want instead of going to get them myself? God, why don't you allow me to compromise? And I want to assure you guys this morning, Jesus understands. He has walked the road that we walk, right? We see it this Christmas season. We see it in the birth of Jesus. This is a king who was born in humility. We see it in this passage, in the death of Jesus. At any moment, he could have ended it, but he gave himself up. And right after the passage we read, Pilate decides he has no choice but to crucify Jesus to appease the leaders. This is how we follow in the footsteps of our Savior. In the midst of whatever is going on in the world, that we say we are going to be true to our king. We are going to live according to the kingdom of God because it is real and it is different and we long to see more men and women see that it's true. Respond to that hope and come to know Jesus Christ. I'm going to have the worship team come up and we're going to take communion together. And, and what communion is for us is just an opportunity as a community of men and women who are followers of Jesus to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what's really interesting is that the crucifixion of Jesus, his death, is depicted kind of as an enthronement, as a king, right? Pilate gave him a crown and a robe. There's an inscription, and, and he is exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross and the pathway for all of us being able to enter into this kingdom was his death. It was the pathway for him to bring all things under his authority, and that's what we're remembering. That's what we're celebrating here. And so today, before we go back into our busyness and study for those finals and write those final papers, let's worship the king. And then in some time over the next two songs, just get up from where you are. This is going to be chaos, I realize. 
There's bread and juice all around, gluten-freeze over there. Just get up and take the bread and the blood, which represent the body and, and blood. I'm sorry, take the bread and the juice. It's not actual blood. <laughs> which represent the, the body and blood of Jesus. And when you're doing that, what I want you to do is just resubmit yourself to your king. Communicate somehow in your heart that you are laying down your power to him, that you are pledging your allegiance to him, and that you desire to freshly live for his kingdom again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for your kingdom. We thank you that where your reign and rule are, there is justice, and there is love, and there is peace. And we thank you that you chased us down and you rescued us, that you invited us in, and that you have made all the sacrifices. Lord, as your kids, we, we come together and we remember you as our king. And we tell you that in the midst of the hustle and bustle of life, it is so easy to forget about your kingdom, but our desire is to live on your reign, under your rule, and to have you transform us, Lord. We lift up this week to you, and we commit it, we give it to you, that we might live as your servants in Jesus' name. Amen.